technology is pushing the limits of customization, bringing ease to surgical planning and making predictable outcomes. If you are a surgeon wanting to make lives better, you are in the right place. Welcome to the Surgeons in 3D Printing Podcast. And now, your host, Dr. Ruchi Pathak-Cole, to take you on this beautiful journey. Welcome to the Surgeons in 3D Printing Podcast. Today, my guest is the Director, Biomedical Engineering, MedCAD Dallas, United States of America, a dental surgeon, biomanufacturing specialist who develops patient-specific implantable and non-implantable medical devices using advanced design and additive manufacturing. She brings to the table her clinical experience and patient-centered approach as a dental surgeon and engineering higher education learning and research experience to arrive at solutions to changing clinical scenarios with proven engineering technologies. Presently, she's at one of the pediatric acute care teaching hospital located in Columbus, Ohio, which is an ACS designated level one pediatric trauma care center. It is a privilege to have you on this platform. Please welcome Dr. Jayanti Patrasati. Hello, ma'am. Hi, Ruchit. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I, I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you, ma'am, for being here and taking that time out. So, ma'am, I wanted to. Uh, ask you a couple of questions which might be of really help to the listeners who are there. So what are you working on nowadays? Uh, I had that 3D printing program in the hospital uh, where it's, it's, it's a pediatric hospital. Uh, so I'm in charge of the 3D printing enterprise wise. So we have uh, right from simulations and uh, we have patient-specific uh, devices which we make, and it goes all over the body. That is, we have right from the neurosurgeons to the fetal surgeons to the, the pulmonologists to the gastroenterologists to the orthopedic craniofacial plastic surgeon. You name the specialty, and, and we work with any one of them as per their needs. Wow, and, that's, uh, that's a broad spectrum of... Uh... Uh, uh, we work a lot with cardiology and uh, we work with uh, one of our, our research projects is on uh, the coronary arteries. Wow, ma'am, that's, that's a like full range of work in 3D printing. Like I think all specialties being covered here. So can Absolutely. you tell about uh, your pioneering work that you did in India? Because I just forgot to mention that actually you are the pioneer of 3D printing in India. And I don't know how many people really know that, but Dr. Veera Bahu also said that in his interview and Dr. Nason as well. He also said that you've been the pioneer of 3D printing in India. So can you tell about the work that you did here in India before you left to the United States? Thank you for uh, the question. And uh, it, it really makes me feel uh, happy to think that uh, I did do something worthwhile. Of course. That was <laughs> Uh, it was about 20 years ago. Uh, um, truly, it, it started as, as a corollary to the work that I was doing. In 87, I started the first computers diagnostic center for facial discrepancies, uh, where I started uh, writing my own code for heflometric analysis and orthodontic and orthodontic 
surgical and treatment planning and prediction. And uh, after about 10 years, when I was planning to uh, move this to a 3D platform, uh, I went to the engineering college and, and the prof told me that, uh, hey, we are getting a, a 3D printer. This was in 98. And oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I said, what's 3D printing? Uh, I know only paper and, and inkjet printing. He said, no, right. something. So the next day, it, it was so timed up that uh, I was there the next day. And uh, I was so intrigued to see how this little machine, which was about two feet by two feet and uh, about five to six feet tall, was uh, able to print things like a mandible, and uh, it, they said it, it could print any shape, anything. I'm like, okay, here, this is so nice. <laughs> what if I could make something like this and, and plan surgery for my patients? So but I was a consultant at, at Muller Hospitals at that point in time, where I was working on, uh, uh, with my plastic surgeons uh, to, for facial reconstruction and uh, tumor resections. So when they come back after three years for dental rehabilitation, I had no choice. And, okay. and we had nothing more than the manual reconstruction plate. Even now, we used it 20 years later, I still find that we are still doing Yeah, this. exactly. The major uh, part, we are I, using that only. Yeah, so um, I said, okay, this is interesting. And I started working informally with, with Anna University. Then in 2003, I said, I need to jump into this technology because I had been talking too much about it at different places and started using it. So then uh, I started doing my master's, which was exactly 30 years after I finished my dentistry. I went, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but I went to school in, in engineering and I really appreciate my professor Gauri who gave me the opportunity, who took me under his wings. And in fact, we started a curriculum where um, people can transgress from uh, medical in, into engineering in a, and find some common grounds, uh, particularly in, in what we could do. Uh, then we started working with, uh, uh, the, we conducted a program at that point in time I'm on, on 3D printing and we had another um, a neurosurgeon from Coimbatore, uh, um, who came in, Dr. Parthiban, who said, uh, ma'am, can you make some models for me? Then we started making models for him. And uh, th that was my slow introduction. And once I graduated, uh, I said, uh, we'll take this technology over to cranial implants. And we started using the titanium mesh. Though we, uh, we did not have a printer uh, to print the titanium, but we were able to adapt a, a titanium mesh and create a design, patient-specific design and, and, and implant it in, in patients. And it's been about more than 15 years and they're all doing pretty fine. And wow. uh, uh, then once I graduated, I said, okay, we, we've tested all these technologies with, uh, on plastic, but I need something implantable. That was a time when uh, our camp came out with their electron beam melting. And uh, I had this friend of mine. Uh, I mean, he was not a friend, actually. I, I was treating his brother. Uh, he came over and he said, 
come do your PSC in US and that's when I started moving. It was more like an, they invited me, they gave me a lot of fun. Um, in India, we, we made some models at that time for um, the maxillofacial surgeons, um, particularly for, for trauma in the mandible and uh, um, in uh, congenital anomalies and things like that. Ma'am, so how was your transition from like dentistry to technology? It was like, it's a completely different area to work with. And so how, how smooth was it? What was your learning curve? And was it your inclination that kind of just, you know, uh, took you through that yeah, part? But, uh, uh, this is a great question for anybody. But, but to me in particular, it was a natural corollary that was happening because I was already with technology in from 87. So in, in 87, when I bought my, my Houston iPad digitizer, believe me, there were only three people who were using it uh, <laughs> all, all over India. One was with the it, uh, Tata Motors, uh, and the other was uh, with another automotive industry, uh, and the third was me. Wow. Uh, so educate the, the, the computer industry to say, this is not like Tata Motors or any other thing. So if I have my patient, if I have a problem, I have to solve, you have to solve my problem right then. So wow. I, so for me, uh, if it was a transition from a 2D approach to a 3D, 3D approach. approach. And, exactly. yeah, and it was, uh, it just happened over time. And uh, uh, there was a learning curve, of course. Uh, when I was doing my master's, I had to learn, uh, uh, calculus and all that kind of stuff and um, lots of other things like like manufacturing information systems and uh, uh, but I'm a person who who looks out to to turn 180 degrees and learn something <laughs> very new so today I'm doing theory tomorrow I'm, I, I might be doing something even different that, that so, can be seen ma'am this is such an amazing thing wow <laughs> yeah it's really nice yeah so the, you've been training throughout, I mean, up until now, you've been training yourself through different areas of your life. So how did you manage to get trained? Because you also have your family there. So how did you find that balance between work and family? Because I would ask this question to any female. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really an uh, interesting question. And I'm sure that everybody feels that. Um, but I would say like uh, we were blessed with uh, an elder daughter who needed uh, a lot of support because of her um, challenges. Uh, but um, if family support is really very important. And until she was about five or six uh, and, and she would go to full-time school, uh, I wouldn't be in in any of these places. And uh, I would just stick to my dentistry and just keep myself quiet and do take care of my our patients about two, three hours a day. But once I found that she was able to be stable on her own, and my husband was very supportive, and without a supportive family, it's, it's really not possible. Similarly, when we trans, uh, tra moved from India to the US, it was a complete transformation. Right. It was not. I wouldn't talk about the, the cultural changes, but I would talk more about uh, our day-to-day -day life 
uh, but how we really enjoyed the change. Um, in India, I was an established practitioner. My husband was was an established chartered accountant. We, we had a huge big home. We, 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 we had people to take care of us. We, we had somebody at home to, to do the household chores. Right. <laughs> we moved here, started with a, a studio apartment, not even a one-room apartment. Right. Uh, but we really enjoyed every single thing. So as one of my professors, my authentic professors who used to be my, um, I call him my father figure, uh, Dr. Kanapan, he always used to tell me that he is not behind you, supporting you and propping you. Your husband is walking with you, which is yeah. really very... My husband and my two daughters, they, they walk with me with every path that I go. And nice. that is the real success for any lady to work with. Very true, ma'am. I, I completely uh, go by that. Eight nights, they are there with me. As I'm doing the coding, they're all sleeping around in the same room. <laughs> exactly. Once I'm done, I said, okay, I'm done, let's go. Then we walk over to the <laughs> That's where things happen, yeah. To be successful, you need a very supportive family. Yeah, very true. So but, how did you uh, support, I mean, the first company that you were supporting, which was MedCAD. So uh, what were your objectives there and uh, how are you supporting them? Uh, when I joined MedCAD, it was actually a startup. Uh, they had the, the, the financial resources and they bought a 3D printer. And, and they also uh, just then got the license for for um, mimics to use it. And uh, they were in fact working in the toy industry, making uh, designs for toys. Uh, the president of the, uh, of the company was, was a digital artist by training and they were doing that. Uh, she wanted to transgress into, into medicine and she was looking and, and here I was, uh, like I graduated and then I was looking out for what I could do next. So then it, it, it was a, a great combination of the two of us. And then uh, I started the company and uh, uh, I was with them. My first task was to get a 510K for the cranial implants. And we were, uh, I was given about, in, in three months we had to submit our application and in six months we had to, had start to get it it was really a, a tall uh, order yeah. and uh, I had to learn a lot of it because uh, the regulatory part of it is something very different um, yes. when you are in, in industry and uh, a lot of people uh, have uh, different opinions and, and thought processes, especially when you're working in, in custom devices because you cannot come up with one design and repeat it over and over and over again. Exactly. So it's like every patient has a separate uh, design. Yeah. And so everything yeah. will change with every design. Everything. The size changes, shape changes. Exactly. The same, the process is the same, but everything changes. Yeah. So uh, I had to learn a lot of quality uh, control aspects as well, which, uh, and I established the, quality systems in, in that company and uh, that was the first flagship product so once that was established we also started uh, the uh, virtual surgical planning for um, orthopedic surgeries so uh, then we moved into uh, 
other craniofacial implants as well. So uh, wow. after about six years, uh, my thought was I needed to return back to my surgeons. <laughs> I, 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 to, to, to find my home back in the hospital surroundings. Right. Yeah. So, ma'am, I would like to uh, ask you to elaborate on uh, regulations uh, because this is a gray area and uh, not many people really know about uh, how how the regulations have to be uh, taken care of because uh, this industry is new. And uh, could you tell about the applications of 3D technology to the hospital settings or to the clinical settings and what are the regulatories involved? Absolutely. Uh, this is a, a really a, a very important question which anybody who needs to uh, who has an intention to to get into 3d printing for medical needs to understand uh, as i said if, uh, for the previous question this is not a single design being manufactured this is one off so every patient is completely different your processes remain the same exactly. so uh, but the the end product the input and the end product is different. It's completely different. So, and, and there is no uh, rhyme, uh, rhyme or reason by which you do what you do. You have to actually understand the end use of the product, where the, it's going to be used. And uh, so, and you look at quality and uh, quality is very much tied up to the regulatory process. So when you look up to quality, um, you will sort of uh, come up and say hey, that uh, you have to understand the complexities of the whole production process. It, it's, it's not that the computer does everything for you. There is a lot of input. Uh, a computer is an intelligent machine, as I say, but garbage in, garbage out. Good yeah. things, you get the best of it. Perfect, yeah. So, you, can, you have to understand that, say, you, your quality starts right from how you collect the information, what the end user wants. So the, when you say good quality, it means it's, it's confirmance of your end product to the, the user requirements. So the, that is what the, the regulatory talks about. The, the regulatory says that you have to have a quality system and then you will have to understand what your end user requirements are and your product should meet the, the system. For, for, for custom products, there is no like one pathway. It, they, uh, FDA, uh, as I know, assesses the processes of what you follow. So you, you have what's called quality assurance and quality control. Yeah. Quality is your processes that you do after your uh, uh, failure more effective analysis. So you do, you, you take each part of the process. So you start with data collection. Uh, CT scan, thickness. Yeah, it's a, it's a CT scan, your thickness and the date in which it's done. Yeah. Say that there have been six months before, but the process, the, the, the person has... The anatomy has changed over six months. Right. Or even in a period of two, three weeks, it can change. And, uh, or in, in pediatrics, you'll see uh, your anatomy at two year, uh, at two months is, is different from different. what is eight months. Exactly. So 
you can't give any answer. So it's you have to have a process to say by which I, I'm going to accept the, the CTs within the state. It has to be as close to the surgery as possible. You can't uh, make a model about eight months ahead and, and tell them to, to use it in, in surgery after that. Okay. So th those are, uh, uh, then when it comes to segmentation, what software. kind of software? Right. Whether you use um, open source or use FDA approved. Uh, for clinical situations, uh, you always use uh, an FDA uh, approved software. Uh, for for research purposes, it left, it's left up to you. Uh, then once you do that, uh, even after this segmentation, you create a 3D model. They give you so many options to trade. There's a trade-off between the file size and the precision that you get. Exactly. So you have to tie up it between the two. So you have to find a, a, an optimum pathway. Then after that, you're going to take that model and, and remove all the um, non-region of interest and, and keep only the anatomy that you're going to print. You might want to see a lot of other things, but your printing is not going to be all of it. Uh, so you, even if if you say the you're going to look at uh, a cardiac anatomy, it's it's not only the the one cardiac anatomy. You have the blood pool, then you have exactly. the chambers inside, and you will have to find where the uh, the the pathology is and give the best view to the surgeon. So in doing that, you do not want to remove anything that's going to be into, uh, of interesting. Right. Then in certain cases, what you will see, um, the the structures are very thin. You're doing a pediatric skull of, uh, of a kid of three months. Then the bone is going to be so thin. So you're going to put some support structures. Yeah. So those support should not be in the, in the region of interest. So it, it, what you do for structuring. So uh, after that, the printer itself. So when you get it to the printing process, choice of the printer, then uh, choice of material, what material are you, you're going to print, and uh, maintenance of, of the printer, maintenance of, of, of the material, whether you, the, the expiration date and things like that. Exactly, post-processing. Your post-processing is another big thing. Uh, all the, the thin parts can just fly away as you just do. So you really got. So there are several steps. There are at least about, I, I've, I've made about 10 steps from the start to the end right. by the time you, you give it to your surgeon. So every single step has its own uh, regulations. Because this is, they look at your process. They don't look at the product. Right. So that uh, uh, that has to be done. And once, even in packaging and delivery, it's it's a real big thing, because if your packaging is not good, by the time you take it, even at point of care, from one department to another, it it, it can some of them can just break. Right. Or instead of the delivery boy is as important as you, right. because he has to de deliver it. The, the skull to the plastic face got <laughs> if he leaves it to the orthopedic surgeon and they, they take it to the OR, they just look at it. Oh my yeah, God. What exactly. And, <laughs> and, uh, every model, uh, we have to have an identity. We have to identify 
we have to have some uh, PHI on it to make sure that it belongs to that model. Today, that the surgeon might be able to to keep in his mind, but after about a couple of months, he yeah, he's going exactly. to have ten skulls and what which belongs to which is going to be a problem. So you have to have an identity of the patient, but that PHI has to be something that's common. Which is commonly understood and it has to be used across the board. Right from, you should be able to tie up your... Um, like an OPD number kind of thing. Right. Right from imaging to use to everything has yeah. to be... Common. PHI, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that proves, whether it's in the OR or, or it's, it's, it's with the nurse in the ward, they should be able to understand. Everybody should be able to... Yeah, with uh, the number. Yeah, to whom it belongs to. Right. Uh, so that, that's about the regulatory for the non-implantable devices. But when you go to implantables, it's a completely different ballgame because you, the sterilization, your cleaning, uh, uh, anything that comes in contact with the patient in the sterile field is a different ballgame. So you, you have to have a lot more uh, quality systems. Uh, and... FDA did divides up the products into three types: class one, class two, and class three. Right. The, uh, and, and then you, you you have what's called the the class one exempt, and then you have the cranial implants come under the the class two, uh, whereas the um, the custom TMJ uh, implants that they come in class three devices. So uh, so once they do in class three, it's very difficult for, for them to change the process because if they change even one single material, it they got to do changes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's even more difficult to get all of that regulatory done and uh, and actually it has to be precisely done rather. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not, uh, I mean, people think that computers can do everything right. and Thing you're doing is is, is from the computers. Uh, or you just give the CT and the model comes out. That doesn't, it's not that way. There's so many processes and so many nuances which have to be, which has to be very meticulously done. Exactly. For every, every single print, whether it's a, a tiny one or it's a huge big one. Exactly. Whatever. I hope there was a lot to learn from the conversation today. It is so nice to know that Dr. Jayanti as a female was actually the first person to start 3D technology in India. I shall continue the second part of this conversation in the next episode. It discusses a lot about regulations. So hope you join in to hear the real stuff. I believe you're not left behind in this journey. Visit our website www.surgeonsin3dprinting.com to know more. Subscribe the podcast to hear more interesting conversation with experts across the globe. We would love to connect with you for any unanswered questions. If you are still fired up for more, visit the resources section of our website and find amazing gifts for you. Hope to connect with you in the next episode. Till then, stay safe and live with passion. Life is a work in progress. What matters at the end is the journey.